I just think it's important for for folks to see a different side of the game and you know different cultures and in countries and uh, and you know what everybody's doing um, because at the end of the day uh, you know the I mean it it's a, a pitch and a ball and a player and that's what it comes down to and you know that might sound overly simplistic but uh, you know I, I think we have a tendency in football to overcomplicate things in yeah. that I. I tend to lean to more of a simplistic approach and I, I've, it's take, it's taken me a while to get to that uh, place by the way. Uh, but I just think that, uh, you know, simplicity is, is probably best. So. Yeah, this is it. You know, it's, it's easy to overcomplicate things. There's a coach who I spoke to last night. He's just starting with the girls who came with the under tens and, uh, you know, he was where I was a few weeks ago. He's like really quite nervous and he sort of sent me a session plan this morning and, Fairness is absolutely fantastic. He's like, well, have I overdone it? And like, even if you have, it's better to overdo it and then not get it all through. But at the same time, you know, just coach and, and just see how it goes. It's it's good to be well well planned, well thought out. Yeah. But at a, certain, at a certain extent, as we said, you know, you don't know what the players will be like on the day. You know what the moves will be like, what the behaviours can be like. You know. The, don't get right. As I said, I haven't really had, you don't have any behaviour problems. But some days, you know, the, the players just they're not at that level where you're going to get 100% out of them. And sometimes you can't really do it with the, with the academy level, but with, especially with grassroots, sometimes it is worth just saying, do you know what, today I've given this a go. It's not really working. They're not really switched on enough. We're just getting to a game. Yeah. Because, we did, and you know, if you try to really push through it and the players aren't enjoying it and then you're not enjoying it, just not a fun experience. And at the end of the day, if they're playing football, they learn them. You know, whether it's mm-hmm. a game or whether it is something more technical, it's always, every time they're playing football, it's always a learning experience. This is the On the Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. If you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know my affinity for Duketig brand, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. And if you're not familiar with their products, recommend going there and checking out all that they have to offer. I actually use two of their products on a daily basis. So one helps me with planning for show prep and keeping all my thoughts related to this podcast in one place. And I also use it for some soccer-related stuff, and that's their Trainer 2.0 Plus. And for other soccer stuff, uh, in terms of training sessions, matches, uh, recapping uh, what has gone on, putting all my thoughts in one place, part of what I've used in my U.S. Soccer Federation D course is the XL, and I highly recommend both products. So go to Duketig Brand. D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. And when you check out, use the promo code Broadwater19, and that'll save you 10% on your next purchase. So B-R-O-A-D-W-A-T-E-R-1-9 at checkout and save 10% today. Dukigbrand.com. Absolutely swear by it if you're a coach, player, or someone in the soccer community. For our first guest uh, from the UK, it was an 
absolute delight to talk to someone who I connected with via soccer Twitter. And uh, his name is Rob Porter. I'll let him explain his background. But Rob is a fantastic follow on social media. And we share a similar story in the fact that we both started our coaching journeys a little later than most. Something I've said time in and time out, it does not matter when you begin your journey. The most important thing is that you started. So whether you're 19, whether you're 20, 22, 30, 32, 42, 52, whatever it might be, the most important thing is that you started. And if that is at the grassroots level as a volunteer coach, awesome. I love that. That's how I began my career. If you're working at a higher level in terms of high school, club, uh, college, something like that, even better. But it's a journey. And to know that you have to play the long game. One of the people that I really admire is Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. And he talks about this all the time of having macro patience and micro speed. And I think that's really important for coaches to remember when they're playing that long game for their coaching journey. So I hope you enjoy episode three of season two in my conversation with Rob Porter. I've been following your work for a little while and um, have connected via social media. And thank God that uh, soccer Twitter and uh, some of the other social media platforms exist because uh, I wouldn't, we probably wouldn't have met each other if, uh, you know, without uh, those platforms. So, um, so tell the folks a little bit about uh, who you are and uh, your soccer journey and we'll kind of see where our conversation goes. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, basically my story is the one of a late starter. Uh, when I was younger, I played a little bit of what we call dog and duck football over here, a bit of public football with my mates. I pretty much stopped playing by sort of early 20s. Uh, had, uh, you know, a couple of children, spent a lot of my 20s doing a lot of fishing out and about. And it wasn't until I got into my 30s that my son's football team were looking for a new coach. The coach was leaving. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to sort of uh, come on board. And sort of by then I'd been helping run the line for matches, warming the goalkeeper up, doing a few bits and bobs. So I uh, came on board with my son's team. Fortunately, the coach didn't end up leaving. And uh, he was sort of my first mentor, a bloke named Fidel. Absolutely fantastic coach. At the time, I'd just done my level one and he was a level two coach. He'd done his uh, youth modules. Absolutely fantastic. Also working with a, a very old school manager. Good old boy, but he was very line drills. And uh, so I learned from sort of both sides of the spectrum what you should do and, you know, maybe what you shouldn't do. So I um, spent a few years with my son's team, you know, uh, really, really enjoyed it. Sort of going through my level one, level two, my youth modules. From there, started working with the Oxfordshire FA with the skills programme. Was very, very fortunate there to meet another absolutely fantastic coach by the name of uh, Kevin Lloyd. He was UA for B licensed coach. Uh, I've just done my level two then, so working with him was absolutely fantastic. Really enjoyed myself there. And about 18 months ago, I started with Oxygenizers in the community. Uh, you know, absolutely fantastic, fantastic coaches there. Each week, we get to coach with boys' academy coaches, girls' academy coaches older coaches with you know tons of years of experience young coaches who 
of just fresh and full of new ideas and it's it's absolutely fantastic and um literally just over two months ago i started working with the option United girls academy which has been just absolutely superb you know facilities are fantastic coaches are fantastic and uh, the girls are just unbelievable they really are so that is a short summary. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I feel like we live, uh, you know, parallel lives in a, in a lot of ways because, uh, you know, my footballing journey started similar to yours. Uh, and thank, thank God I, I, every morning, I I'm very grateful that my son, uh, started playing soccer. And if it wasn't for that, I actually don't know if I would be a soccer coach. And, um, you know, to hear, I, I think part of why I, I find your story interesting, Rob, is that, um, you know, I, I come back to this idea that anyone's footballing journey can really start at any time. Yes, a, a number of folks that we worked with, players, they start at a very young age. But for you and I, you know, we were fr- away from the game for a significant period of time. But soccer, you know, sort of, or, or football always welcomes you back with open arms and uh, to get into it, you know, uh, I'm in my late thirties and, uh, you know, to, to be in the situation I'm in now, I would have never dreamed of that, you know, five, seven, 10 years ago. And, um, I don't know. I, I just think that's the part of the connectivity, you know, that brings all of us together. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like we live uh, very similar lives in, in that regard. Um, how have the experiences that, you've had with the coaches. So you mentioned sort of two, uh, you know, opposite ends of the the spectrum of a, you know, a, of an old school footballer and maybe a more modern day uh, footballer. And how's that helped shape your philosophy and who you are as a coach? Yeah, obviously from the old school side of it, line drills, quite shouty, you know, it's, um, I'm very much, you know, I really, really enjoy players actually playing, you know, getting out there, actually playing small-sided games, nothing worse than, especially, you know, this time of year, players stood around, one player, two players doing something, and the rest of them lined up. Uh, that, that absolutely kills me watching that in fairness. You know, really, you want as much contact time with the ball as possible, players enjoying themselves, playing as many minutes as possible, you know, not stood around, listening to a coach shouting for 20 minutes. You know, that that's yeah, not my not my style. Yeah. What has been the uh, UEFA licensing process like uh, for you? And I know that um, a while back uh, you'd shared some things on social media and, um, you know, just about that. And uh, I'm curious what that uh, experience was like for you. Yeah, the UEFA B, I did the the new UEFA B, which started last year, and it was absolutely superb. It really opened my eyes to to, to so many things, uh, especially looking a bit more at myself and sort of my philosophy and you know through the course I've sort of built up my philosophy and it it took me a while and actually at the end of the course one of the tutors was like well so actually unpick your philosophy I've written down so much that actually it was like wow I'm not 100% you know it was it was maybe I've gone into too much detail so I've now kind of boiled it down to really sort of three key things which for me you know fun every training session should be fun whether you're in the park with your mates, whether you're at a grassroots stage or whether you're in an academy, you're still a child and you're still going there to enjoy yourself. So it's got to be fun. Um, also respect, which works both ways. Respect from a coach to the player and respect from a player to the coach. 
also respect for your teammates, respect for the practice. So, you know, giving it a hundred percent. And the third one being commitment, which, you know, mm-hmm. it, it all kind of intertwines itself. And, you know, if you're committed, you're respectful and you're enjoying yourself, hopefully you're going to learn and you're going to have fun at the same time. So that's, I've kind of, I've really sort of boiled it down to three key phrases. Mm-hmm. How have the, uh, the players responded to uh, those ideas? Yeah, do you know what? In all honesty, when I first started, you know, maybe I did a few line drills and things like that myself, and players get bored, they get frustrated. If the players are enjoying themselves, if, they're, if, you know, if they've got plenty of ball time, if they're working hard, you know, I don't have any player behavioural problems these days. Players are enjoying themselves. And maybe if coaches, you are having player problems, sometimes it might be the players themselves, but a lot of the time, it's the practice. And if you're putting on a practice that's both enjoyable, that works the players hard, that they're, you know, really going to have to be intensely physically working at, you know, the, the time normally flies. The amount of sessions I've had lately where the players are saying in the end, oh, it's a session finished. I'm like, yeah, oh, wow, that flew by. For me, there's there's no better, no better sort of, uh, you know, seeing what, what a session's been like than the players actually saying, wow, that flew by because, it, you know, it shows that they've been completely immersed in the session, they've been enjoying themselves. Yeah, I, I've had a similar experience and uh, there have been times where I've actually looked at my watch and I, I actually can't believe the session's over as well. And uh, similar, the players have said to me, um, you know, hey, coach, are we done? Or I actually had a player one time um, get a little angry that we were finished and he wanted to keep going. And uh, <laughs> he he was upset that we had to stop. So uh, I, I, I told him, uh, I said, you know, we'll, we'll you know, we'll do this again soon. So uh, don't, you know, no worries. We'll, we'll be back at it soon. So, um, so uh, obviously England and uh, the UK is a, uh, a hotbed for, uh, for football, but what has that experience been like for you, uh, you know, growing up there and, you know, living it every day? Uh, I, I will fully admit that I am envious uh, to a certain degree, um, you know, here in the States and that we, we've come a very long way here in U.S., I think in my lifetime, uh, you know, there were some some really dark ages when it came to uh, to football here uh, in the states. But I think that, generally speaking, I I think there is a you know a, a pretty robust uh, football culture here in the U.S. Could it be better? A- absolutely. And you know, there there are significant issues within the U.S. culture and the U.S. game when it comes to uh, to soccer. But what is that like for you, you know, growing up in a, in a soccer hotbed? Uh, myself, I grew up a big Leeds fan. Um, I live a long way for Leeds and I used to get there quite often. Unfortunately, not as much as I used to. But, you know, football is everything in this country. You know, I, I think this week I've watched football on the TV at least four or five times. You know, go and watch Oxford United play, go up to watch Leeds every now and again. It's absolutely fantastic, in fairness. You know, what I mean, in fairness, America, it does seem like it's coming a long way. You know, the way the MLS is going now, it, it does seem like it's really growing. Um, I had a good chat with Colton, Coach Colton, a little while ago about, uh, you know, the way American football is going. And, well, sorry, soccer. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You can call it football. It's football, but, you know, obviously for some people, you say American football, they think NFL. So, yeah, they had a really good chat with Coach Colton a little while ago. And, yeah, and it does seem like America, 
you know, soccer in the US is, is really coming on. You know, the coach education, although there is still quite a lot of issues with it, you know, coaches are better educated now. And it's gone from, you know, one thing he was saying, it's gone from coaches who are there at the grassroots now who are just parents to actually proper coaches who are there. They're educated and they can actually improve players, which, you know, is a massive step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you mentioned uh, a mutual friend of ours in, in Coach uh, so uh, it wasn't that long ago that you went to Barcelona. And uh, what was that like uh, with that whole experience of, you know, seeing that environment? And uh, I'm not sure if you got to uh, attend a Barcelona match, but uh, <clears throat> what, what was that like for you? Uh, it was it was absolutely super. I've been to Barcelona before and really loved it. The city, the culture is absolutely fantastic. I do love Spanish culture and fairness, but that whole weekend, uh, getting to speak to and sit down and have I'm a football nut to be honest with you. I could I could talk about football for hours. So getting to meet Coach Colton, who in fairness, he's one of those coaches you see on Twitter. There's there's coaches who you think, God, they're so upbeat. Can they really be like that in real life? And <laughs> you know, he he's uh, full of full of energy, and yeah, he's a he's a fantastic fantastic bloke to speak to. In fairness. Uh, got to meet some other coaches from the UK who sort of had a lot of interaction with, with social media. A bloke called Lee Cosgrove, who uh, from the Midlands, fantastic coach, and Laurie McGinley, who from Scotland, he's got his own podcast and really fantastic coaches. Also, the experience going to the Barcelona Academy was absolutely superb watching the youth games. But I think for me, the highlight of the trip was actually going to the Tova Academy and meeting Todd Bean, and that was absolutely superb. You know, his facility there, down by the sea, you know, sat in the stand. You can see the sea on one side, the players training. Got to meet him, spend a few minutes with him. And, yeah, that bloke is amazing, to be honest with you. Yeah. Absolutely. Encyclopedia of football. Yeah. I I have a lot of admiration for Todd, and uh, he's doing some really fantastic work. Um, Has has that experience sort of, uh, you know, contributed to anything you're trying to do uh, with your teams or with the, the boys and girls that, you, you know, that you might be working with um, or philosophically maybe influenced you in, in some way? Yeah, I must admit, I, some of the things that we saw there, I've kind of nicked and sort of uh, taken into my own sessions. Personally, I do a love a Rondo and I do actually get the mickey taken at me a bit for the amount I do love Rondo. So it's something that's part of my, a lot of my practices anyway. But yeah, it's just the fact that Playing the game is the best way to learn the game. And it's something I've you know, come to realise the last couple of years, but that really kind of hit home to me that a lot of positional and a lot of game-related practices are the best way of the best way of players learning. Mm-hmm. Although at the same time, one thing that really rung true from my UEFA B, and it's something that I really took from my mentor from the UEFA B, was the fact that you can have a really game-realistic practice, but if the, if the players don't get enough repetition of what you want them to learn, can they really do it? But at the same time, if you get lo- loads of repetition, but they don't do it in a game-related practice, how can we then expect them to go out the weekend and actually perform that skill? So it's getting that balance right. You know, if you've got loads of repetition, but no realism, players are going to struggle on a match day. If players don't get the chance to actually practice practice these skills enough in a game-realistic situation, then they're going to struggle. So it's, it's getting that balance right for me. Mm-hmm. I, I love that because I, I completely agree. And I think the, you know, the, the intersection of that is so important for coaches because, you know, I've worked with coaches that, um, 
they, they probably lean more to the technical side of the game and they want to develop really strong technical players. And I, I can completely appreciate that because I, I think having a, a strong technical foundation is, you know, really the, the bedrock of, uh, of a good player. But it's exactly what you said, Rob, that um, you have to be able to apply it to a game situation, right? So, you know, you can uh, have the, the fanciest footwork and, <laughs> and all the land, but if you don't use it in a game or if you don't apply it in a situation that's appropriate to, uh, you know, to get away from a, a defender or to, you know, ease up some pressure or something like that, then, then what good is it? Right. Uh, it's just a, a skill that, you know, sort of sits on the shelf and um, it has value, but not as much value as it possibly could, you know, at least in my opinion. So um, what are you like at a, at a, at a training session and what do you like at a match? <laughs> Yeah, in, in a match, these days, I'm, I'm a lot quieter than I used to be. You know, for me, a match is training sessions. The coach is there to try to impart some wisdom, impart some knowledge. And the match is, that's the player's domain. You know, they get there on the match day. That's their time to, time to shine. It's not me from the touchline every 20 seconds shouting. You know, if there's something I see that I want to impart on the players, like, you know, could we do this differently? Then, yeah, but to be honest with you, it's about, it's about the players' time to shine. You know, for me, I'm not the, the centre of attention. It's the players. Training-wise, man, I, I, I love football and I just love having fun. But I think sometimes I actually enjoy the training sessions more than the players, to be honest with you. Uh, always try to be have a smile on my face because I feel the way you are as a coach can be quite impactful on your players. I've seen some coaches and you know, I've seen I've seen through grassroots, I've seen the best and the worst of coaches. I've seen seen coaches just literally spend 45 minutes with even sometimes full sessions doing fitness work, star jumps, press-ups because their, their players haven't done well enough the game before. And you just think it's, a, it's just a, it's a good recipe for players leaving the game, you know, if you're not enjoying themselves. So now I'm always trying to be bubbly, trying to be enthusiastic because hopefully that rubs off on the players and they're enthusiastic about training sessions as well. Mm-hmm. So that's my well, I, I agree with you that I think, um, you know, players take their uh, their cues from us as coaches and that uh, especially, you know, for, for youth players that if they see that we're energetic and if they see that we're excited to be there and if they see, uh, I, I love what you said, that I, I would agree with you that um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like sometimes that I might like training more than the players too. And that, uh, you know, that there is something about football that brings tremendous joy to my life. And so, you know, even, even on my worst days of, you know, if I, if I'm getting beat up in my job or, you know, going through a rough patch or whatever, that I know that I get to go to training, uh, that evening, the chances are, it's probably going to be a good day. And that, that, you know, in some cases has saved days, uh, because I don't know that there, there's something really magical about the training ground. And I want my players to see that, uh, I want them to experience that. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. And, and it's, and part of it, you know, maybe leads into my next question about culture of, you know, how do you, how do you create that culture that you want, um, you know, as a coach or how do you shape that? And, you know, I have a feeling it's probably dependent on the age of the players that you're coaching, but what has that been like for you, um, you know, throughout your coaching experiences of, of shaping that culture? Yeah, it's an interesting one because 
like over the last 18 months, I've literally coached every age from sort of five-year-olds and after-school clubs all the way up to under 16. Had a little dabble, did did an adult session a little while ago, sort of really got involved with the girls' side of it. So, yeah, every every team is different. You know, every group of players has got their own sort of identity and it's, it's getting to know those players but and sort of getting to know their strengths and weaknesses. But it's also just trying to get everyone on the same page. Look, I'm not here to have a go. I'm not here to trip you up. I'm not here to, you know, I'm here to make you better. I'm what well, we're here together to get better. You know, it's it's a it's an us mentality rather than them and us mentality. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to see the I don't want the players to see me as a coach and think, well, that's the enemy. You know, that's the person you're here to shout at me. He's you know I'm here with you so we can all get to get get better together. That's the way I look at things. Mm-hmm. So uh, something that you do that I really enjoy, um, you are really good at asking, I think, some pretty fantastic questions on social media and uh, getting a discussion going that way. And, uh, you know, for for some of the the coaches that have engaged, uh, we're talking about, you know, coaches from all over the world, um, but yet, you know, using a platform like Twitter to to bring us all together. And uh, I, I'm curious, I, I, I guess, one, how you go about coming up with your questions, but sort of maybe where that idea came from and, uh, you know, uh, kind of what that has been like. Yeah. You know what? It's just uh, I'm, a, I'm a postman by day and I get a lot of time sort of uh, just walking around thinking to myself, which spend an, an inordinate amount of time thinking about football. Uh, but it was, you know, it's sort of, it's like, well, what about this? And, you know, and it's actually fantastic these days that, you know, you can actually ask these questions and you can get so many different views on it, on a, on a topic rather than before you kind of maybe a little bit isolated to yourself. And, and now you can get some brilliant answers from people on the other side of the world. And it is, it's absolutely superb. You know, some of the, some of the questions, it's just something that's popped into my head. And I thought, well, what about this? And, you know, how do I feel about that? And how do other people feel about that? And, is my thought process right? And sometimes it is, and sometimes actually kind of opens my eyes to other other ways of thinking on things. And yeah, I absolutely love Twitter, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that gets the, the mickey taken at me slightly because I do spend a lot of time on Twitter. You and me both. Uh, my, my wife likes to remind me of that from time to time. <laughs> that uh... <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, well, but so what I have sort of wished for, uh, when it came, when it's come to, uh, us, you know, coaching education is exactly what you're doing. So if you put a group of coaches in a room, uh, you know, and, and ask a question, right. Um, you're probably going to get 15, 20, you know, maybe more different answers or ideas, you know, to that question. And the, the times that I've done coaching education here in the States that, those have been the times where I've gotten the most out of it, where I've been able, and it's usually after the session or after the the classroom portion is over, where, you know, a group of us coaches are standing around or, uh, you know, we're making small talk and we're kind of engaging with each other, you know, hey, where are you from? You know, that sort of thing. You know, what level do you coach? Whatever. That we start to sort of get to know each other on a more personal level. And you know, now uh, U.S. soccer coaching has really moved in the direction of 
uh, teaching coaches how to coach, especially at the the grassroots and some of the you know the the lower levels. It, it probably gets a little more tactical, uh, you know, when folks get into maybe a, a C or a B or you know definitely an A, but you know, for basically from a D down, um, you know, they're, they're teaching us as coaches how to teach the game to, to players. And I always appreciate those questions just because uh, I agree with what you said that um, it doesn't really matter. You know, the, the, the cool thing about football, I don't know if there's ever really a wrong answer. I mean, may, maybe once in a while where people go, well, okay, that's probably, you know, I, I don't think any coach would, you know, would sign on to that. But more often than not, there are numerous numerous ways that we as coaches or have our players solve a problem. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's probably one of the more intriguing parts of the game for me is that there really isn't a right or wrong. Um, there's, a, there's a whole lot of gray, I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. There's a lot of gray, yeah. <laughs> In fact, I'm, at the moment, I'm reading through a fellow coach's uh, his, uh, his thesis from, you know, his university course, and it was about, sort of coaching interactions and sort of only got about halfway through it so far. That's absolutely fascinating. Just how we interact with our players, how we actually get that knowledge across to them, you know, the, the ways, the ways we can actually speak to our players, you know, do you want to actually go command style? Actually, right. This is what we got to do. You've got to do this, followed by this, followed by this, or more of the question answer guided discovery route where, we're trying to get the players to actually think about the answer themselves. And that, for me, that's the way to go. You, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of command style coaching, especially if, you know, if the players have got the chance to sort of, to work it out and they're still not, then maybe sometimes we have to go in and sort of help them, you know, give them the answer at some points. But when you can see players make breakthroughs on themselves, so you, you've designed a good practice, that practice is hopefully going to lead to those outcomes and the players either on their own or through a little bit of help from yourself with questions and, you know, you can get to that point. And absolutely. That's, that's the best moments for me as a coach. You know, absolutely love that. When you see those light bulb moments where it's actually, well, if we do this, we're going to, we're going to achieve our goal. That's, that's superb for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Love it. Yeah. So uh, I know at, uh, at different times in our coaching careers, we um, might hit a, a bit of a rough patch, right? Where, might get down on ourselves or, um, you know, our confidence might be shaken uh, a, a little bit. And I'm curious um, if you've experienced that and uh, how you've been able to work through that uh, as, as a coach. Do you know, actually the last few weeks of kind of where I've gone with the girls Academy and it, it's, it's another step up again. And I, I take all my coaching very seriously, but it's like, I've probably put slightly too much pressure on myself in terms of, I've got to get this really spot on. And yeah, I kind of got a little bit down on myself. It's like, uh, you know, and picking my sessions apart, maybe slightly too much. And it's about maybe taking a step back every now and again and find that little bit of balance. Like, you know, yes, that wasn't great, but it's still, you know, you're still, even the best coaches, it's still a learning experience. You know, whether you're a pro licensed coach or a level one coach, you're always learning and some of the best sessions are actually the sessions where they don't go well because from the player's point of view, maybe not, but from yourself as a coach, those are probably the best light bulb moments. Those, those learning experiences where you're like, well, that really didn't work. But if I can do this, this, and this, then actually I can have a far better session. So yeah, I must admit at the moment I've kind of, I've come through it now, but a couple of weeks ago, I was a little bit down on myself. It's like, ah, you know, 
But yeah, I think it's you've got to be objective with this movie. Find the balance. Yeah. So who do you turn to uh, to maybe build build yourself back up, or is it? Uh... You know, some people might say positive self-talk of, uh, of kind of working through that, you know, mentally, um, or, you know, do you turn to friends, coaching colleagues, family? Yeah, I, I talked to the missus. I talked actually my nan, uh, bless her, you know, she's in, I think she's in her 80s now. And uh, yeah, I still have a little chat with her. Obviously, she doesn't understand the nuances of football, you know, in that in the sort of more technical level. But yeah, if I'm feeling down, speak to them. I've got a really good uh, network of coaches through, especially through the Oxford United side of it. Uh, bloke called Lee, who uh, we did our UA for B together, and now he, he coaches with me, and he's fantastic. And all the other coaches with Oxford United are just superb. So I've got a lot of really good, really experienced people to lean on if I need to, but also family, friends, you know. And so it is good to talk every now and again. If you get it all bottled up, then. Um, yeah, it's it's hard, but at the same time, I do kind of, I'm yeah, I, I I probably overanalyze things too much, but at the same time, I'm quite good at working through things and actually realizing in the end that, yeah, maybe I've got to be a little bit, little bit less tough on myself in those sort of situations. Yeah, uh, no, I can completely relate that. Uh, yeah, I I think I tend to, you know, go to the deep end uh, pretty quickly, and that I've been able. You know, in part of it, it just comes with experience, I think, of not being so down on myself at times and having, uh, you know, uh, beating myself up for, uh, you know, unnecessary reasons. And I think, you know, it, it comes through repetition, it comes through practice, it comes through, uh, you know, I had heard something recently that really stuck with me that, you know, training is for the players, but it's also for us as coaches, because, it is a chance for us to get better of how we deliver a message or, uh, you know, I, I've often said this, Rob, that I would love to go back and have a conversation with myself five years ago uh, and just go, you know, Jason, what the hell were you doing? <laughs> uh, so on the first day of our UA for B, they sort of give us a piece of paper and said, right, write down, or put a picture of yourself as you were, at the start of your coaching career. Mine was literally me with a whistle. And I used to love my whistle, to be honest with you, blowing the whistle and, uh, you know, stopping practices. And, and you know, and look at myself now and you think, and it's one of the things that actually I did put this on Twitter a little while ago. My biggest regret is if I'd started in my early 20s, I'd love to know where I would be now. Because, mm -hmm. you, you know, you can't beat yourself up on that too much. But, you know, kind of thinking, wow, if I had started at 21 rather than sort of early 30s, it'd be amazing where I could, could be, but you know, we can only do what we can do with what we've got. Yeah. Well, and I, I also believe that, uh, you know, life and, and experiences sort of happen for a reason. Right. And that, um, you know, uh, just because we got into the, the coaching side of the game a little bit later, uh, you know, than maybe someone in their twenties or, you know, uh, teens or, or whatever that, um, that the point is, is that we got in and that we're, you know, on this journey and, you know, I, I'm curious for you, where do you see this going? Uh, is there, do you have aspirations to, you know, get to a certain level or, um, you know, what, what do you, I, I guess, where do you, where would you like to end up? Yeah, well, it might sound a little bit funny, but we were, when we were in Barcelona, it was, um, it was like a, it was like a holiday, holiday resort. And obviously during the winter in Spain, it gets quite cold. So it closed down through in the winter. 
So they have professional teams over there. And they had, um, I think it was England, France and Germany's girls under 16s or under 17s. I looked at that and I thought, you know what? In a few years, I would love to be, you know, it probably won't ever happen, but you've got to have big aspirations. Being part of an England youth setup would be absolutely amazing. And as I said, it probably won't happen. But if you don't have goals, then you'll never hit them. You know, I'm really enjoying this this girls' academy stuff. Eventually, you know, who knows? Who knows? I'd love to do my UA for A license in a few years, and yeah, it's just you know, we'll we'll wait and see. I've I've not got any sort of set in stone concrete things, but you know, why not try aim big, go for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think part of it too. Uh, I've gotten much more comfortable with just enjoying the journey uh, of where I'm at right now and. You know, uh, I, I think at a younger time in my life that I would have thought that, you know, it's about getting to that next level, right? It's about take, doing whatever I can as quickly as possible to, to take that next step. And I don't know if it's just come with age or, uh, you know, sort of maybe where my kids are in, in their lives or whatever. But I just think that um, you know, I've definitely enjoyed the journey a lot more. And, you know, I, but I also agree with you that I think having having those aspirations of, man, I would love someday to get to, you know, X level and whatever that might be. Um, you know, it, it's going to look, look different, obviously, depending on, you know, what country people are in, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's good to have, you know, sort of that balance of, of, of both. So, uh, something that comes up uh, quite a bit here in the States and I'm sure <laughs> you can, uh, probably riff on this a little bit. Um, so w- working with parents, uh, especially in the youth game, what has that been like? And overall, uh, not that I expect you to be the, uh, you know, the the spokesperson for English soccer, but uh, or football. But um, what is that like? Uh, and how are how engaged or unengaged uh, or parents, uh, you know, in England when it comes to to football? Yeah, I think with parents, it's hard. But what we got to realize as coaches is actually just parents want the best for their kids, you know, and what they see and what we see is obviously sometimes it's two different things. Uh, I've been really lucky experience with parents. Obviously the teams that I've coached never really had any problem parents. And I've heard stories about, you know, nightmare parents and this and that, but I think it comes down to, to education as well. Um, with my son's team, I, I help out with the coaching a bit and we've got a WhatsApp group and we put, there's, you probably want to see it, but, UK coaches have probably heard of it. There's a there's a video with uh, Ray Winston, who's a you know, famous actor in England, respect video, and and it shows you know parents shouting from the sideline, and they're actually you know you're making a bit of a fool of yourself by doing that. So we we put that on the WhatsApp group, and you know it's yeah trying to engage with the parents, trying to get them on side as well as the players, because you know parents are part of the process, and we are you know we're all one big group together to be honest with you. So. Yeah, I've been really lucky. We had uh, one of the parents a little while ago, my, my older son's team, she would bring in uh, sort of curries and pakoras and stuff like that. And, you know, I've had a few nice presents, I've got a couple of Christmas presents from players and stuff like that in the season. So, yeah, it's fantastic. You know, as long as as long as you respect for parents and, you know, you understand that all parents want is the best for their kids, you know, nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that um, 
it's actually helped me as a coach, you know, also being a parent. And that's not a, a criticism of, of any coach that isn't a parent, um, because there are things that they bring to the table that are different than, than what I have. I also think, though, too, that it has helped because it, it starts exactly with what you said, Rob, that, um, you know, we, we, every single parent, <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's England, if the States, you know, another part of the world, we all want what's best for our kids. And uh, I think what gets lost in translation for folks is how they go about that communication piece and how they, you know, problem solve if an issue comes up. And some folks, you know, uh, at least here in the States, they tend to get a little elevated in terms of their demeanor or, you know, their their cadence or, you know, how they approach a coach or whatever. And that typically if people can have a conversation as adults, you know, with cooler heads and that they're not shouting at each other, then at the end of the day, I've told, uh, you know, all the parents that I work with that, um, believe it or not, we all want the same thing. You know, we want their players to be successful. And so how do we kind of work to that common goal and how do we continue to all be on the same page? We're going to have disagreements, you know, on things, but inevitably we got to work through them. And, um, you know, I, I'm grateful for the group that I have now because there is a, there's definitely a level of honesty and trust that I haven't always experienced in my coaching journey. And I know that that's refreshing at times. It's challenging at times um, because folks will ask you questions and, you know, I'll have to hit the pause button and sort of think uh, a little bit. And, you know, there've been times where I've said to folks, you know, now may not be the best time for me to give you an answer, but let me, you know, let me sleep on it. And, uh, you know, let me kind of think this through because uh, I never want to come at it at a place from emotion, right? Because if, if I'm leading with emotion, then chances are, you know, they're going to come back with emotion too. So the conversation will get heated and we don't want that. We want this to be a collaborative, uh, you know, sort of relationship. So, Especially after games, you know, after a football game, emotions are always high, you know, hopefully in a good way if you've had a win or, you know, if you've had a defeat. And especially one of my, one of my things in my philosophy, especially younger ages, is, you know, players do rotate positions. They learn the game from a from, – but – and that's one thing with educating the parents that, you know, they might still not be un, un really happy that, well, he's a striker and he's playing left back or, or whatever. But hopefully by educating the parents that actually in the long run for their, their players, it's the better thing that they rotate positions a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sometimes after defeats, it's, it's better to, right. Yeah. As you said, sort of go away from it. Look, with you know, have a little bit of space, calm down and then we'll have a chat about it. It's probably the best way to go in those situations. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, do you prefer coaching boys or girls? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, do you know what? It's, it's all fun to be honest with you. It's all enjoyable with girls. I think you can be a little bit, I'm not going to say silly, but you can be a bit more, um, you can have a, maybe a little bit more fun without, without them sort of pushing the boundaries as much. If you know what I mean, boys, if they can, if they can take an inch, they normally will do. If you know what I mean, but I, I, you know, really the boys is, you know, I, I love it all. To be honest with you, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same, and um, yet they, you know, both groups couldn't couldn't be more different in how they go about, you know, their approach. At least in my experience, and uh, we had a session not too long ago where 
basically had three different stations and we had three teams all training at the same time. So two, two of those teams were girls and, and one of those was, was my team, a uh, boys team. And, uh, you know, we'd have each group for 25 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that. And then we would, you know, they would rotate to another group of coaches. So, you know, 66% of the time, uh, that group was going to be females, uh, in our group. And, um, my coaching partner and I, we were sort of joking around afterward and laughing a little bit that, um, you know, just the, the demeanor and, uh, you're exactly right in what you said that, uh, you know, my, my boys, sometimes, uh, it can turn into, uh, you know, WWE wrestling, uh, <laughs> that, uh, and, and that's just the nature of boys. I think, I mean, we were probably that way when we were their age and, um, you know, they just tend to be a little more, um, you know, physical, I guess you could say, or, or whatnot. But whereas the, the female players were, um, I, you know, they, we were joking around with them and we had some fun with them. And, but I, I agree that I enjoyed both. I mean, there isn't, I don't have a preference, uh, you know, as to, to which uh, group of players that I prefer more. I mean, they're, they're just, it's football, you know, and it's good. <laughs> there, are, there, are, there are differences, but, you know, I, I, the thing I was really gutted about, because I did uh, an under-10s ETC team, and I had to give them up to do the girls' side of it, and that was really gutting because absolutely fantastic group of lads they really are and i still get to see them sort of get down there for the last half an hour training session and uh they're fantastic but these girls as well are just uh they're absolutely amazing to be honest with you mm-hmm. i mean hopefully because i've now i've seen the other side of the women's game i personally think in 10 15 years it might there won't be ever i don't think there'll ever be parity but we're going to get a lot further towards it so some of these girls are absolutely amazing they really are Mm-hmm. And I think girls' football is just gonna just gonna grow and grow. In, you know, women's football in general is gonna be much bigger in a few years, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree, and uh, I, I hope that for my my two daughters that uh, you know, there's a here in the states that uh, I, I think a lot of youth uh, female players, you know, they aspire to play at the collegiate level, and uh, that typically is a good springboard for them playing professionally. Whereas um, I, I think a lot of young men, you know, still want to play in the college game here, but it looks a whole lot different on the the boys or men's side in terms of that path to, you know, playing at a really high level. Whereas the, you know, on the, the girls or, or on the female side, it seems to be a little more, you know, do this, do this, and you'll get to, you know, maybe that professional level. And uh, to, to what you said, Rob, I mean, the you know, look at the the number of teams in England that have both uh, male and female teams. Uh, you know, there's a the you know uh, the the women's league here, uh, the NPSL um, or NWSL. I'm sorry, uh, hello. There's too many leagues <laughs> uh, here in the states, but uh, you know that we have a professional women's league. I mean, that's that's a big step forward, and um, yeah, I, even professionally. Um, you know, Women's World Cup is this summer, and uh, mm-hmm. I couldn't be couldn't be more excited to watch it. I mean, yeah, it's gonna be big. It's gonna be big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, how do you define success as a coach? Two, you know, for me, two main things: a, do the players go home with a smile on their faces, having enjoyed themselves, which for me is massive, and b, if they can go home having picked up something, you know, are they are they a better player? an hour and a half later at the end of the training session than they were before. If you can do that, if they can go home having learned and having enjoyed themselves, 
there's nothing you know but you can't ask for any more than that personally mm-hmm. well i i think those things all sort of work together right that if they're having fun they're more likely to continue playing the sport which is yeah. something that I think all of us as coaches want, we want lifelong footballers, right? I mean, we don't want them to to walk away from the game for whatever reason that they can do this, you know, for, for the duration of their life. Um, and two, if they're learning something, I really believe that that ties into their confidence. And if they have confidence in their ability, again, it goes back to their willingness to want to continue and they feel good about themselves. Uh, they know that they're contributing to a team. Um, you know, they're, I I don't know, it's sort of this, you know, uh, life experience, even though they're, they're doing it through a game. And, uh, I've seen that, you know, just so many times. And it just, it, to me, that's one of the coolest things is when I can tell a parent that, you know, their, their son or daughter is playing with a lot of confidence right now. And just that, you know, they're, they're racing out of the car to get to a training session or, like I mentioned earlier, the, the kid who was disappointed that the training session was over and, uh, you know, <laughs> didn't want to, didn't want to leave. I mean, didn't want to go home. And I mean, you know, if I had my way, we would have stayed all night. <laughs> so, Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, yeah. that's what I mean, you look at players and we've got to realize that they are people sometimes because it's quite easy for a coach to, you've done your session plan, you've put your marker down the board, that player's going to play there and this player's going to do this. But we don't think about them as people as maybe as much as we should do. And it's like, well, actually, that's a young person. You know, they might have had a bad day at school. They might be down on something. or They, they might be absolutely buzzing. And uh, really sort of getting to know your players on a personal level, I think, is, is massive, you know. And there was a couple of girls the other week who on the Monday said she was like, right, you know, they won't, they won't be there on the Thursday because they're playing a tournament uh, against each other. So uh, on the Sunday, it was like, oh, you know, how do you get on? And just stuff like that. And, you know, players then, I think they, they they sort of, they enjoy things more and they see you as more of a person, as a coach, rather than just this authoritative figure because you're actually getting to know that little bit more about them. And I think that, that's massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, a question that I have asked, so... Season one of this show uh, had guests from uh, only the United States. And in season two, uh, which this episode is a part of, uh, trying to branch out and give uh, you know a little bit more of a global view of, uh, of the game of football. And so I, this, this question is going to be tailored to your experience uh, in England. So what is England doing right? And what is England doing wrong when it comes to football? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very broad question. Um, in terms of think, things they're doing right, if you look at the England youth team, so in the last, I think it was the last like, year to 18 months, they've won, you know, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on the age because they've won two youth World Cups. You look at the, some of the names coming through, like Foden, Sancho, Nelson, absolutely fantastic players coming through. So, you know, youth development, I think that England uh, have really got their act together. The way they've they've redone all the licences, the UEFA B and all the rest of it is absolutely fantastic because, you know, having done the old, the old level one was literally if you, if you turned up and you didn't hit someone, you didn't swear at anyone, you would pass. 
pretty much. And I know the tutor on the day, I was really nervous before the exams. Like, ah. Oh. And the tutor was actually on his phone. So, like, he, you know, he wasn't even looking. Uh, the old level two, it, it was all right. It got a lot of technical detail from it. But at the same time, there wasn't anything on how you interact with players and, and the sort of the more the social, psychological side of it was all, you know, all very technical. But the way they've gone now with the new way, new way for me was absolutely fantastic, to be honest with you. Um, in terms of anything that England's not doing well, at the top of my head, I can't really think of anything personally. You know, there's there's nothing that, that really springs to mind thinking we could do this a little bit better. On a professional stage, you'd think maybe that, that leap between under-16, under-18 football and first-team football has to be maybe a little bit better because you get a lot of these young, talented players who, you know, hear about under-16s and 17s, this player's going to be amazing, and then they kind of get lost in the system a little bit on the professional side of it. Uh, grassroots, I think there just needs to be a bit more money invested in, in players, uh, you know, facilities, Whereas you look at the Premier League, it's a it's a monster money making operation, but nothing really trickles down. You think some of the playing, so yeah, I thought of something now. Some of the playing fields, you know, you play on are pretty horrendous. Some of the facilities, winter training where the light draws in the winter. Some of the teams they play in, you know, pretty awful places, awful conditions. More blood lit three G pitches and stuff like that would be would be absolutely massive. To be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Well, that is uh, incredibly interesting to me because uh, we often talk about here in the States that uh, it, at times it feels like an embarrassment of riches when it comes to, you know, uh, training pitches or quality facilities and, and things of that nature. Uh, I wish we had more, um, I, I guess I would call them grassroots or, you know, part of it is the access to the game. So, you know, people, people can walk around, uh, you know, really many parts of this country here in the States and they're going to find basketball courts. They're going to find baseball fields, uh, you know, uh, American football fields, uh, you know, are a plenty, but there isn't a place. So, you know, I believe football can be played anywhere, you know, in the street and in, in, I mean, if you anywhere and that, uh, you know, there, there's a little bit more of a movement, um, you know, people want to call it street soccer or whatever here in the States and that, uh, you know, so it, it's sort of this weird juxtaposition that you have, you know, some really fantastic training pitches on one hand, but yet, you know, on the other hand, we're struggling to get kids to play the game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a really, it's a, it's a weird it's a weird thing. And, you know, in, in, in playing football here or playing soccer is incredibly popular at the youth level. The problem is, is that, you know, between ages probably eight and 12 here in the States, a ton of kids leave the game. And it goes back to everything we talked about previously of, you know, fun, confidence, uh, you know, are they learning things, that sort of thing. And, um, but yet, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we started our conversation talking about, you know, winter training and, and sort of this in-between time between seasons. And, you know, the place we go to is, it's pretty unbelievable. I, I, I won't lie, you know, and I, I don't know, it's this, it's a weird, it, it's a problem that needs figured out uh, here in the States. So it, it's interesting to hear, a, you know, a different perspective from uh, the other side of the pond. So. 
Yeah. Um, one thing while we were in Barcelona, there was a there was a presentation. He was saying that the the man I can't remember what his name was now. He was president of the uh, Catalan Football Association. He was saying in Spain they have still got that culture of kids walk around with footballs. Now in England that does seem to be disappearing. You know, it's that Xbox PlayStation culture where kids are more interested in getting home and playing Fortnite or you know or whatever else and. And it's something that does seem to be disappearing in this country. You don't see many kids out on the street playing football anymore. And it is, it's a shame. Obviously, yeah. The grassroots system is, you know, it's, it's really good in this country and it's really accessible. Uh, the grassroots team was some place for it's, it's only £120 a year. So, you know, it doesn't cost a hell of a lot to join. And um, for that, they get you know, 20 odd weeks of winter training. They get their kit. They get a presentation at the end of the season with a trophy. So, you know, the grassroots game is going really strongly in this country, but that street sort of soccer mentality, and you see it in other countries like Brazil, Argentina, where, you know, kids are out on the streets playing football, and it does seem to be disappearing in this country, which is a real shame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I would agree. Uh, Rob, if folks want to connect with you and follow along uh, in your soccer journey and your football journey, how can they do that? Uh, it's just through my Twitter handle, to be honest with you. I'm on Facebook, but I'm not really big on Facebook. So it literally, it's just Twitter. Uh, I can't remember what my Twitter handle is. No, it's either RJP Coach or Coach RJP, one or the other. But um, I'm sure you'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, uh, for folks listening to this, he's a good follow. And uh, as I mentioned previously, he will, uh, he'll, he asks really, really good questions. And I enjoy that. Uh, I, I know, uh, you know, with our time difference that, uh, my phone will start lighting up some mornings that I'm driving into work and, um, you know, it makes me happy because I, I know that, uh, if I need a break, uh, for my job that I can kind of turn to that. And it's a, it's a bit of, uh, you know, sanity that I, that you provide to my day, Rob. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, that's well, brilliant. Yeah. Well, uh, Rob, I can't thank you enough, man, for, uh, for coming on the latest episode of the on the touchline podcast. And, um, Wish you and your family and uh, the the girls that you're coaching uh, nothing but success. And uh, I, so it, this is going to sound kind of funny, but um, so I, I've never actually been abroad, and my my wife has for uh, for her job uh, numerous times, and has been to uh, has been to the UK, has been to England, uh, been to Germany, and a number of European countries, and. Um, so my, my bucket list is to, to get to England. Um, my family heritage, uh, is from England and I need to do a better job of tracing back the, you know, the, the town exactly where, but, uh, mm. was able to trace it back there. And, um, yeah, I would love to get just to see, you know, all levels of football, um, you know, from a fourth or fifth division team all the way to the premier league. Um, I mean, just to experience it would be would be fantastic, and, uh, and you can uh, uh, I'll, I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> How about this? That uh, when I when I make it there, that, uh, <laughs> I will be sure to uh, to get in touch and uh, and look you up. Yeah, be fantastic. Yeah, anytime, anytime. My sincerest thanks to Rob Porter for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And Rob, uh, I wish you nothing but success in your coaching journey and 
Um, I would love the opportunity that if I ever get to England someday that we can meet up in person, catch a match, training session, whatever it might be. So all the best to you and the family. You can support this podcast in a number of ways. And I just want to give a shout out to some of the people that have left reviews recently on Apple Podcast. So real simple, go to Apple Podcast, type in on the touchline, and leave a five-star rating and leave a review. So here's a couple uh, reviews that have come in recently. So the title of this one says, Fantastic Listen, and this is by JQ15. I love this podcast for many reasons. The variety is fantastic, and the interviewer is well-prepared with great questions. Listening always inspires reflection. So thank you so much for that. My friend, uh, I think this is Dan Yargo. So Dan the Manster, uh, met him in my coaching course, and just recently started listening and have thoroughly enjoyed it so far. Excellent quality content and guest. This podcast is definitely a valuable resource for those who are looking to learn from their coaching peers. So I really, really appreciate that. And then the last one is from Joe Cleary, and he is the head coach at Wayne State. Uh, So Joe, thank you for this review. Uh, Jason is a good follow on Twitter, and his pod is a good listen. Variety of guests from all levels of soccer, and he improves the content and the quality every single week. I listen to three coaching podcasts each week, and this is one of them. Must listen. So be like those three who have left a review. Go to Apple Podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a brief review about the show. So you might be asking yourself, why in the hell is this important? The more and more people find out about this show through your reviews. So if people are searching soccer podcast, they're more likely to see on the touchline in their search queue if there are more reviews, more ratings, that sort of thing. So it would mean the world to me that if you could do that on Apple Podcast. Also, I would love to connect with you via social media. I am active on Twitter and Instagram at SoccerCoachJB. I really, really appreciate your feedback thus far in season two and feel like we are moving the needle to continue to deliver quality content to you, the listener. I was talking to John Townsend, uh, one of the co-hosts of the show recently, and expect some written content from him in the very near future. Uh, John has some things up his sleeve, and we can't wait to share that out as a supplement to some of the listening content that you get every Wednesday with this podcast. I was also talking to the other co-host of the show, Aaron Rogers, and there are some coaching guests in the queue that I really can't wait to share with you in the very near future. All right. I think that is all for this week, but we'll be back in your feed next Wednesday, uh, as we are on most Wednesdays. Thank you so much for listening. It really means the world to me for you to support this show. And until next time, I am your host, Jason Broadwater. This has been the On the Touchline podcast.